open your Bible tonight to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Acts, chapter 19. We're going to go back and traverse over some familiar territory tonight and re-remind ourselves of some things that we can tend to let slide through the years. I've had a conversation recently in which this subject came up, and I was informed that there's a need to know more about this. Somebody wrote, I'll tell you what it is in a minute. Somebody emailed me one day and said, do you have any teachings on this subject? And uh, I'm a new Christian. I'd like to know more about it because I know it's in there and I'd like to understand it. Then we've had discussion about these folks coming back from Guatemala and praying for people to be filled with the Spirit. You know, I take for granted that being labeled charismatic, that is a believer in the gifts of the Spirit, and things like that. I just assume that everybody here knows that, understands that, is involved in that, and walks that way. But, you know, I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true. I don't think that everybody that has asked to be saved from the evidence of their life really did get saved. Now, it's just my personal, where I'm perched in the kingdom, and what I'm doing is I look at lives and actions and reactions I've come to believe in reading the Bible all these years and studying that if a man is truly saved, he or she is truly changed. And the change becomes evident to everybody. You're not perfect, and you still have a chance to make mistakes and, and falter and, as you grow. And God does things in your life, but there's a change. You're a different person. I also believe that when a man is filled with the Spirit, and I know a lot of people that have said they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues or something like that. But it is quite evident that a Spirit-filled life is not following these people. So again, we tend to think that if you're here, you understand all this and you do this. But I know that's not true. And I also know that it was a message in the New Testament that was never set aside ever. In the early church, when somebody was saved, when they led people to the Lord, the first thing they did was baptize them in water. And the very next thing they did was pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And we can assume we got everything. We can do all that you want to. But if you read the Bible, you realize that there is a way that God does things. He doesn't do it on our terms. He shows us how he does it. And that a lot of people who say they've been there and done that, there's something lacking in a lot of people's lives. And let's face it, we're the ones that if God teaches us, we're the ones that a lot of people are going to ask us questions about this. And if we don't know how to talk to other people about the Holy Spirit, if we can't lead them into an experience they desire for you to show to them, then I have to question, have you received the Holy Spirit? I'm going to title the message of the sermon that, Have You Received the Holy Spirit? And it's a very simple thing. We've, we've been through this many, many times. As I have noted in the past, I'll note again that it's a great controversy that still exists in the church, I think. You can go to Google and just print baptism in the Spirit, of the Spirit, something like that, and you'll get all kinds of warfare all kinds of warring sites and disagreements and some really dumb, ugly statements about it. 
is still a, a touchy, debatable subject to a lot of people. We know it is, therefore I think we tend to subdue it. And we don't talk about it very much, or we don't want to bring it up because we don't want to offend other people. Now you think about that. Most of the time, we don't mind telling people we're saved. We don't mind discussing our salvation and the joy that we have derived from it. But when it comes to the baptism in the Spirit, we know that a lot of people are going to recoil. They're going to draw back. The church is taught it's not for today, and that's not anything to do with what is right, what people like us are doing. And people without reading to see if that's true, just take it because a church leader said it. And as you've heard me say, I'd like everybody to say it. You know, don't believe it because I tell you. I certainly have my opinions and my view of things, but there's some things it doesn't matter what your view or opinion is. If it's not in agreement with the Bible, it's wrong. You can believe something with as much passion. You can believe whatever you want to believe with such passion that you're convinced it's right because you feel so strongly about it. But nothing is right if it doesn't agree with the Bible. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what kind of eagerness and zealousness you have. If it doesn't confirm the word, or if the word doesn't confirm your experience, it's not a valid Christian experience. It may be something everybody else wants or something like that, and you feel so strong about it. But again, folks, our emotions never makes anything right. It's the word of God that makes something right. It's not wrong because I believe something strongly. It's not right because we're here and we believe things strongly. It's only right if God said it. That's the only way it's right. That's where we have to understand what our role is in all this and how this is supposed to work. And so I want to go back and look at some things and ask a few questions. And again, make sure that when you go out of here that you're capable not only to lead somebody to the Lord, which very few of us have ever done. I say us editorially. As far as as evangelism is concerned, most of what we hear about people getting saved comes from mission fields. And very little of it in our lives where we live with people we know. But we're supposed to have that message, are we not? We're supposed to live in such a way that there are those times that others ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. What is it about you that's so, you know, positive or exciting or whatever? It's Christ. It's Jesus. And we tell them. And we're also supposed to be able to tell people when we go out of here how they can be filled with the Holy Spirit or how they can receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about it that way. Be filled or receive or something like that. And we should be able to do that. Instead of having to call somebody and take them somewhere else to get somebody else to talk to them. I mean, we are vessels of the word. If we're learning anything, God gives us a word. We hide the word in our heart and ready always to let that word come out. Now, if we just attend church, we're just good Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, or whatever. If we're just good church members, but really don't take it to heart about hiding the word in our heart so that we can go out of here and be useful to God to do the work that God wants us to do then we're nothing more than just little figures of religion. So we want to make sure as we examine our hearts and ourselves that 
we not only know what we believe. I know what the preacher said. I know what husband, wife, children, neighbor, brother said. What do I believe? What do I really believe? And the only way you'll ever be able to answer that is to search the scriptures to see if you believe what it says. And the part you don't understand, you pursue a knowledge of it. You seek to understand that because this is what God wants. He wants you to be a, a knower and a doer and so forth. And you can't talk about the subject of being filled with the Spirit in our circles without the subject of tongues coming up, speaking in tongues. And it's such a stigma today because the picture that people have, at least when I came to the Lord, the picture that was painted for me by my pastor and my mother, I mean, two key people in, in my life, the picture they painted about what this was and what it meant was something that I didn't want any part of. As I look back today, and I'm standing here looking back 40 plus years ago, I could not deny something in my heart that was searching. There was something about the answer that I was given concerning the question I asked that didn't satisfy. I'm not going to call people, key people in my life, I'm not going to accuse them of lying to me because I don't think they were. I think they gave an honest answer as how they saw it, not what they believed. And I couldn't get over the fact there's something to this. And as I began to keep asking and keep seeking, eventually God gave birth to this thing and we sought and then we found and wonderful things in the last 40 years have happened. And there's something about the baptism in the Holy Spirit that when it's lacking, church becomes little more than a religious exercise. It's just something we do because it's decent. It's a socially proper thing to do, and I feel good about myself, and, and sometimes I'm inspired and, and so forth, and I like that. But a lot of people have a lot of passion. When I first got saved and this experience came to me in the Christian church, I'm sure that had never happened in that old building before, but when it happened... It didn't take long for me to find out when people heard about it, they began to view you with suspicion. At first, you were the fun guy that just got saved, and we get together and drink coffee. Then they found out that you've had this Holy Ghost experience, and they kind of, you know, draw back and look at you because, again, you know, you're one of these slobbering, shaking, uh, vibrating, rolling in the floor, uh, weeds in the front yard, the car won't start. You know, the view that we have. The stigma that's attached. Knowing that anyway, I didn't try to push it on anybody. It's just that every time I would get involved in a conversation, it came to that. Then I'd be talking about that, and, and eventually somebody would say, is that all you people ever talk about? And my answer used to be, and it probably still would be if they asked me, that's all you ever asked me about. That's all you want to talk to me about. And I'm not ashamed of my experience. I'm not ashamed as I look back all these years. I attribute the success in my life to be that which God has brought into my life. You say, well, it's not because you spoke in tongues. It's, it's just an evidence. It's, it's what the Holy Spirit does. I don't know how we get to where we're supposed to go without that. And I don't mean being saved. I mean being effective, saved people on this earth doing the will of God, doing his bidding in a lost, crazy world, having something with us that is beyond what is everywhere, 
something that puts us over, makes a difference in our lives. I can look back and see many instances of that in my life, and I, I thank God for it. Now, our text tonight, have you found the book of Acts yet? I know you have. Chapter 19, chapter 19 and verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, Is that all you people ever talk about? (laughs) Did he ask them that? They didn't say that. But you think about it. Paul came to Ephesus. And when he came to Ephesus, he looked for somebody to fellowship with. He didn't just assume that if I go to the synagogue, everybody there is a disciple of Christ. But the Bible says he found some disciples. He knew they were disciples, no doubt, because in talking to them, they had had an experience concerning Jesus. They didn't know much about it. Nobody did in those days. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have scrolls to carry around to verify this or that. They had to depend on what they were taught. But they knew they had an experience that was genuine because their lives had changed. And and when Paul found them, he said to them, and I'm just putting this in there because I think they they were talking about something about being saved. And Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Since you believed. Have you received yet? And they said, we don't even know what you're talking about. We haven't even heard whether there can be a Holy Ghost. And Paul said, have you not read Joel chapter 2, that in the last days God said he would pour out? Were you there when Peter, when this happened in Jerusalem, and Peter made this speech quoting Joel 2? Joel said, when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be a dramatic thing. Not only will you hear a message, but you'll see something, a demonstration of some sort that verifies that this is God because man can't do this. Sorry, he didn't say all that. But he goes on to say, verse 3, unto what then were you baptized? He knew they had been baptized in water. That was New Testament. You get saved, you get baptized. Middle of the night, you get baptized. Cold rain outside, you get baptized. That's just the way it worked. And so they said, well, we were baptized unto John's baptism. Those of you that are familiar with John's baptism, John was a forerunner of Christ. He announced to the world that the scripture that talked about a savior who was coming is about here. He's coming. He'll be here soon. And we need to get ready for him. You need to repent of your sins and make ready. They believed the message. Not everybody did. They did. And when they did, they were baptized in water, symbolizing that, you know, we not only believe he's coming, but we want our sins washed away. And they were getting ready for it. And he said, okay, let me baptize you right then. So it says... In verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son. No, it says, wait a minute. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't know very many people that do that today. I know a lot do, but I don't know very many that do. And there's a lot of people, if you baptize that way, there might be a meeting. But it's what the Bible said. We can't change this. Whatsoever you do in word or D, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not all. 
And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That was the New Testament pattern. That's the way it was. You believe first. You believe because you repent and you turn from your sins. And then you get baptized in water. And then there is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That was what the New Testament saints did. In fact, if you look in the same book of Acts, put your finger there. I'll come back in a minute. But Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Let me ask you something. Is there salvation in any other? So we're talking about that which saves. The greatest need of a lost man is to be saved. The only Savior is Jesus. That was the message of the early church. He went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Paul spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits came out of people, crying with loud voices, and they that possessed with them that had taken with palsy were lame. They were all healed. And there was great joy in that city. I would say they were having a revival, a real revival. Revive means to relive, relive, reviva. New life came. Life came from heaven. And these people were beside themselves with much joy. Oh, praise God. Now, see, I think they're saved. I've never seen heathen act like this, but it says here, there was great joy in that city. Then we skip down to verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Would you agree with me that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? As far as I'm concerned, they were saved. They were saved. They followed up their repentance and their declaration of Christ as Lord with water baptism. They were baptized in water. And then after that, it said... Skipping down to verse 14. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now, here we go again of salvation. You're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the what? By the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Did they receive the word? All right, then just remember this. And so they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, and they sent Peter and John down to them. Now, when they were come down, they prayed for them. Here we go again. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, now, wait a minute. If they were born again and they were baptized in water, then they've already got the Holy Spirit. Well, let's see what it says. You follow me. Verse 15, again, at the end of it, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for as yet he was fallen on none of them. They were simply baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So had these people received the Holy Spirit yet? No. Were they saved? I think they were. I don't know how they couldn't be. See, to receive Jesus is to be saved. He's a Savior. He's the redeemer. There is no life outside of Christ. You can't add anything to Christ to make it better. It is as good as it gets when it's Christ and Christ alone. 
But all that he is and all that he wants to be in you will need some help from God to make it like that. And that's where we come into this thing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see, God's gift to a sinner. And I hope you know this because this is part of how you witness to other people. See, God's gift to a sinner is Jesus. Would you agree to that? God's provision, our Heavenly Father's provision for the removal of our sins is his lamb. The lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. God himself provided an offering for the lost men. Bulls of sheep and goats couldn't do it. But God sent his own son that he would live the life that God would accept. All the guilt of man could be settled in the offering of one man named Jesus. And he became the savior of the world. Now we know the whole world is not going to be saved. So he didn't fail. Because you see, that's where we get to learn what election is all about. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And the Bible says he sought his own. We'll put that to some other time. So God's gift, God's provision for a sinner is Jesus Christ. Now, would you turn to John chapter 1 and verse 12? John 1 and 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Does your Bible say that? There are two main words, power. One is dunamis, from which we get dynamite, dynamic, dynamo. It has to do with ability and power and might. This is a word, exousia, which has to do with permission and authority. In Barnes' notes, he said the word means right or privilege. Now, let's see what that means. A bunch of sinners, lost, have no right to salvation, no right to God, could not get it if they wanted it. It has to be given. It has to be offered. God himself must initiate the whole process. God comes to you. You couldn't come to him because of your sins. But God can come to you through Christ because now the way is open. So he comes to you and he convicts you and he says, you're a sinner. I ain't no worse than anybody else. Yeah, you are. You're bad enough that you can't make it to heaven. But I've come to love you. I want to save you. How am I going to save you? I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to show you what happened here. I'm going to make you aware. It's going to grieve you. There's going to be godly sorrow involved here. I'm going to show you the nature of your life and how I saw you all those years. You sat in church singing the choir and you were running in this world like a common dog. That's how you were. You only made your judgment worse. And you deserve to be judged until Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I'm going to save you. And he gave, we call it grace. You know what grace is? Grace is when you're sitting there with no hope, no chance. And God comes into your life and he says, I'm going to give you a chance. Do you deserve it? No. We don't deserve any of this. But God wants to give you something. 
God so loved the world that he gave. It's the nature of God to give. You've got to remind people that when you talk to them. What did he give? He gave you hope, a living hope. He gave you a way. He gave you truth. He gave you life. And it's in Jesus. And how you relate to Jesus will determine how you, how you do. But to as many as received him, God gave the right or the privilege of being his child. Now, there you are. You're saved. John 1, 12, you are his child. Verse 13, you were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of the will of God. God did it. God willed your salvation. God, by grace, came to you and opened your closed eyes. God made you see what you could never see unless he opened your eyes to see it. And God broke your heart to repent, which you could not have done if God had not broken your heart. See, man, man likes to think that there is enough goodness in me. Even though I'm lost and, and dead in trespasses and sins, there's still enough of the spark of life in a lost, dead man that he can still choose to accept or reject Christ. Now, really all a dead man can do is reject Christ. You don't determine when you come to the Lord. The Lord does that determination. You did not choose me. What did he say? I chose you. Why am I laboring this point? Because this is our main message to this world. You've got to have this one. This one has got to be numero uno. It has to be right at the front. You have to be able to put into words what lost people need to know about themselves. You're lost. You're undone. You can't save yourself. God's made it possible for you to be saved. I cannot see your heart. I don't know if you're one of his or not. I'm not sure that I can tell you if you will just come to the Lord. He'll save you tonight. That's his business. He can do that. I will tell you what he did and what's available, and it's between you and the Lord after that. I don't know how many people understand that or agree with that, but I'm just saying that's where I am. So, he said, as many as received him, to them gave he the right or the authority or the privilege of being the son of God, of being the children of God. And concerning Jesus, in him we live, in Acts 17, in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. Outside of Christ, there is no life. There's only an existence briefly in this world, and then after that, it's eternal darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In this world now, there's hope. Because the only hope that is, is the one that God offered, and that would be in Christ. Who could forget the verse, for by grace, through faith, are you saved? For by grace, that's what God does through faith. That's what God gives. Are you saved? That's what God does too. Do you believe that the faith you have to get saved came from God, or did you just always have it? I believe it came from God. And I believe there was a time that God triggered it, brought it forth. That's when you realize that there's hope because God was knocking on your door. 
I think that's scriptural, isn't it? He just stands at the door and knocks. Too many people have a door, one of them little, like a motel room. You know, you got a little hole in the door and you can see who's in the hallway. And they see, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, he wants everything. He wants all of me. I'm not ready for that right now. Shh, maybe he'll go to the next door. Come back when you get time, but not right now. But he may never come back. But he comes once because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Not all men wanted it, but the ones who wanted it are the ones that get saved. They are his people. Obviously, that is true. So, this is God's gift to the sinner. Born again, saved, I'm his. I serve a risen Savior, he's in, so forth. We're happy. Praise God, I'm born again. Now, the New Testament tells us that God's gift to a saint or a believer is the Holy Spirit. God's gift to the sinner is Jesus. That makes you his. Nothing else added. Don't add a thing to it. You're his. Okay? Now, you have the authority to be his child by virtue of what God did. Now, God sends the Holy Spirit to make your authority effective. Pointing you to Christ in a deeper sense than you've known before. Something that doesn't allow you to sit back and be satisfied with church membership. Because you see, the church through the years has lost the message of the Holy Spirit. Way back in the dark ages, they began to add pomp and circumstance to it and formals and formalities and rituals and, and parades and names and clothing and vestures. And, and they begin to spruce up the whole thing. And the work that began to be done was man-inspired. It was concocted by man. It appealed to man. It pleased man. And the scripture, actually in the days of the Catholic Church, the scripture was interpreted by the priest. People, the common man was told he couldn't read the Bible. My daddy told me one time he wasn't allowed to read the Bible. That he trusted in the priest. They went to school forever to whatever they do. So he said he just trusts whatever they told him. That's how sorry that system is. People don't even know what's true. They just know what they're told is true. They cannot do anything with what they've got because the boundaries and the lines are drawn by the church. Don't cross it. You're of this and this is what we do. We don't go beyond that. If they do that, stay away from those people. That's what I was told about these charismatics. My mother told me how they jumped up down the air and rolled in sawdust. And, you know, I thought, hey, I don't want any part of that. I couldn't see me coaching basketball acting like that at halftime. That would never work. But I realized that was the way she was told. That was what she believed. What would she know about the Holy Spirit? She lived by assumptions like most church folks do today. They assume. Somebody told them, well, if you're saved, you couldn't be saved without the Holy Ghost. You can't be saved without Jesus. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, if he, a living Savior, is not active and living in your life, you're not even his. If you want your life to have meaning and bearing, you should be led by the Spirit because what the Spirit does is all in relation to Jesus. 
And the Bible has a lot to say about it. We'll look at it in a minute. But God's gift to the believer is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. I talked to a man one time said, you shouldn't say Holy Ghost. I said, and why is that? He said, well, it sounds spooky. <laughs> okay, I said, for your sake, I'll say Spirit, Holy Spirit. Now, concerning this, turn to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 4. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Now, this is at the end. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. And this is what he says. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Now, what are they supposed to wait for? They touched his side. They know who he is. He verified that this is a living, resurrected, hard-to-understand Savior. He could eat food, but he had a heavenly body. He could go through walls, but he could eat food. Could you take solid food through a wall? I don't know. He did. He can do whatever he wants to. He's Jesus. He said, now you stay in Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now, verse 8, and this is what he does. And when he, the spirit of truth, has come, verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power. That's dunamis this time, dynamite. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria, and in Shelbyville, Kentucky, to all the ends of the earth. Let me ask you a question. What was the big deal about the Holy Spirit? What was the big deal? People today say, well, what's the big deal? I know people that jabber and little, 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 little do all that stuff. So what's the big deal? Well, I mean, what's the big deal? You know different than I am. You act the same way I act. You fail the same way I fail. What, what you got that, that I need that you say you've got and I don't have? You're no different than I am. That's my pet peeve. Or I'm asking you, what is the big deal with the Holy Spirit? Power. Isn't it? And not necessarily power to tell a tree to, to come up by its roots and go into the ocean. Or not some kind of power to go raise a whole hillside full of dead people if you want to. It could include raising the dead, obviously. Jesus said in Mark 16, these signs shall follow those who believe. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. We know that there's going to be power in the Christian's life. But we look in Christian, not very many people that we know even believe it. They're in the upper coast of Ephesus. They haven't heard much about this. And you tell them, say, the purpose of the Holy Spirit was to give you power to live life on his terms. You're his. You belong to him. Can't take that away from you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, it brings you into the place where you can do what he said, and you won't find yourself saying, well, that's just way over our head. Nobody can live like that. Well, nobody can until what? Until the Holy Ghost takes up residence inside of a willing soul, and then he can do whatever God wants done. Nothing is too 
difficult for the Lord. And there's nothing too difficult for those who believe. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's an enabling. It's a making you aware of something that is beyond the ordinary is quite possible. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Not because you got saved, because you went forward in a church or pray with your mom and dad or a Sunday school or a vacation Bible school or not because you asked the Lord to save you. That brought you to him. That's your greatest experience of all time. And th- but then he said, now, if you want to live effectively and know that everything you're hearing and what you're reading in the Bible can be done through you, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, I've got everything. Well, look at your life. About the best thing you can do is sing first, second, and fourth stanza. Your life is the same routine now as it was before you got saved. You struggle with anything, with little things, and hardly anything at all. You grumble, you complain, still not in control of your passions, your anger, still not trying to be a better husband, father, or leader. You just don't see the big reason, the big deal until the Holy Spirit comes. You know, it's interesting. The first thing that I believe when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe in healing. I lost all my questions about whether or not that's possible for today. It just became aware that, oh, of course it is. I couldn't prove that. I could only read the Bible and said, well, that's what God said. Yeah, but how do you know it's true? I know it's true. Whether I've ever experienced it or not, I know it's true. My experience doesn't make the Bible true. Your experience doesn't make the Bible true. The Bible is true because the Bible says what it says, not because I believe it. The Bible is true whether you preachers believe it or not. It's true. And the truth, the truth is able, has power. To make you free from all the dead traditions and dead religion of man has power. The word dunamis means ability. It means to enable. I read a story once where the word dunamis is taking something that is greater than the obstacle you're facing and putting that greater something against the obstacle like dynamite. Kind of like, you know, you take something that God gives and you put that against your problems. And you'll have them the rest of your life of some degree. You just know. You're one of those people that, they, how can you believe that? I just do. Do you think God has opened your heart to believe that? Of course. That's why you can believe. God's put some dynamite in your life. All it takes to start it is faith. I believe God. Well, it ain't going to work, is it? Yeah, it hadn't worked yet. How long have you been believing that? Quite a while. How do you know it'll work? What makes you so happy? Well, I believe, boom! How'd you do that? You're so lucky. What else could they say? It's pretty bad. But he said to the saint, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
Why? Turn to John 14. John chapter 14. Power so we can do what he wants us to do. Just go back a few pages. John 14. Look at verse 25 and 26. Jeff was talking Sunday about the great high priestly prayer of Christ, especially as he prayed in the garden in John 17. Well, the verses that lead up to John 17, verses 14, 15, 16, is the last time, the last moments that Jesus spent with his disciples. He was teaching them specific things, things that he wanted them specifically to know and be aware of and have such an impact that they wouldn't forget it. And the thing he kept referring to, chapter 14, 15, and 16, like chapter 14 and verse 16. In John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, this is the promise. He said, I will pray to the Father and he, God, will give you another comforter. Who is he? Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it can't see him. They can't verify his reality. They neither know him. Jesus said, but you know who he is because he's with you. Are you saying that you're going to come back like in your spirit and... What are you going to do, Lord? He's verse 18. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. What did he say? I will come to you. Now, the end of this chapter, verse 25, these things I have spoken unto you being yet present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom again, the Father will send in my name. What will he do when he comes? What will he do? He will teach you. Let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between the teaching of man and spirit-led teaching? Is there a difference between a good man, a saved man teaching, and a spirit-filled man teaching? Well, now, you're going to have to sit down and think about what the difference is. Because the Bible said it's the Holy Spirit who will teach you, who will teach you all things. Let me tell you something about all things. That means all things. How the world's going to end, the last days, what should we do, how shall we do it? He'll show us. He'll show us. And he will bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So it's all about Jesus and what he said that the Holy Spirit is going to amplify and teach us about. Would you agree to that? All right, chapter 15. Chapter 15, the last two verses. But when the comforters come, uh-oh, now this time he said, whom I will send. First he said, whom the Father will send. Now he says, whom I will send. It kind of makes Jesus and the Father one, doesn't it? All right. Plus he said, the comforter will come and abide with you. And he said, and I will be with you. Oh, it's interesting. It's really interesting. It's kind of difficult to understand, but it's interesting. But when the comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. What does the word testify mean? If you're in a court of law, what do you do when you testify? You describe 
what you know. Would you do that? You can't tell what you don't know because you could perjure yourself. But they ask you to testify in court to something, you just tell what you know. That's all you tell. And here's what it says about God testifying of Jesus. It said, he proceeds from the Father and he shall testify of me. He's going to tell you what there is to know about Jesus. And verse 27, as, as we started tonight, and you go out this room, you go out in the street, you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I am going to use you to witness to the world with a message that when it's anointed, 1 John 2, it will change the course of other people's lives. Nobody in the world can have that message. You can mimic it. You can imitate it. You can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of things to imitate spiritual things. But you cannot make something that's not spiritual, spiritual. Only God can do that. And eventually you'll see the difference. Chapter 16, concerning the teaching. Jesus said, verse 12, he said, I have many more things to say to you. I'm not through talking to you. Do you see it that way? I want you to see this. Sometimes I think I'm aware when I'm studying that some things I just taught on, I'm thinking, I don't think they've gotten it. I don't think it registered. So I'm going to start taking my time. I'll start making funny faces or something so you'll remember that. <laughs> Maybe not tonight. But he says, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you. God isn't through talking. But he said, you can't handle it right now without what is going to happen later that will cause you to understand it. Until that happens, you can't handle anything beyond usually just how to get saved. And there's nothing wrong with how to get saved. Some of the great preachers in the annals of history, Spurgeons and some people like that were gifted in the message of salvation, the mechanics of it, the theology of it. The wonder of it. Inspiring. Good. But Jesus said, the things that I want to say to you beyond what you've heard, you can't process it. That's my word. How be it? Verse 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, what will he do? He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine or from me and shall show it unto you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he shall take what is mine and shall show it to you. You know all this is true, don't you? That the whole purpose in this end time teaching of Jesus prior to him leaving this world, he said, the next issue important issue for you to get a hold of is the Holy Spirit. Now, this will be a new experience in the New Testament. Well, I read all through the Old Testament where there was a Holy Spirit. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And yes, you have. And he was there to do the will of God in momentary situations, whether it was a Samson or a Gideon or a Daniel, when the Bible said he was filled with the Spirit, and he did something wonderful or dramatic. Bezalel, 
made all the instruments, the ark, the table of showbread, the candlestick. He was a craftsman. He was anointed to do that. The Bible said his anointing was called, he was filled with the Spirit. He was enabled. Go to John chapter 7. On that great day of the feast. It's on the left column, two-thirds of the way down. (laughs) John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's why we reach out to receive the Holy Spirit, because we're thirsting for something that God has given us a thirst for. Here's what he said. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly or his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, is this the way it should be? I'm asking all of you here, those of you that are watching, is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this normal Christianity for a human being to have something outside of himself, something from above, something from God that is poured out or comes down upon him that enables him to have rivers of living water flow out of him? That's quite a testimony. That's quite a life. And yet it's normal. Not to the world, it's kind of crazy to the world, but for us, it's normal Christianity. But you know what he was talking about the next verse? This spake he of the Holy Spirit, whom they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because he was what? He was not yet glorified. What's that say? Well, the Holy Spirit had visited all of creation from the time of the beginning had accomplished many things that God wanted to accomplish through people. But at no time did the Holy Spirit ever come to dwell in and walk in and bring forth in human beings. He simply visited them. They came to him for a a moment. But he said when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to dwell. But he can't dwell in an unclean vessel. So there must be some provision made to clean the vessel. What's the provision? Jesus. Is Jesus cleanse us from our sins? Does he or not? This is your message. This is what you carry out or to wherever you are going. This is your message. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. No more guilt about what I did and what I said. And, oh, man, I'm such a dog and I can't go to church. I'm so bad. All of that is gone. I'm free. I have been forgiven not only of my sin, but the guilt that accompanied my sin. I am aware of my past. Too much. But I'm no longer controlled by yesterday's sins because I have been forgiven. And God sends his Holy Spirit to take a cheap sinner like myself and infuse it, enable it, as he calls it, with power, ability, divine might, giving me something that I can partake of, the divine nature, something that inside of me gives me hope and strength, strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and what? That's right, the power of his might. 
Where do I get all of this? I get it from Jesus. Now, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the Holy Ghost, who was not yet given, for he was not yet glorified. When was he glorified? God raised him from the dead, didn't he? Restored to me the glory I had with thee before the foundations of the world. When he came back and appeared in the upper room, what was he said? All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Didn't he? And before he left them, he stayed on earth for several days. And before he left, he breathed into those disciples. In John 20 and verse 22, he breathed. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what he did? Just like when that clave that God made became alive unto God. Became a new creature. Well, the second Adam, unlike the first Adam, the second Adam gave life, was a life-giving spirit. And he breathed into those disciples and divine life became in them. But then he said to them, now you tarry where? Those of you that have been breathed upon, oh, Jesus, you've got something from heaven, something that has changed your inner nature something that has transformed you in here to where the guilt is gone and the sorrow has faded and you know without understanding it that God has saved you. Now he says, now you, you, you wait in Jerusalem until I send the promise of my father upon you. Now when he comes, he's going to change your life daily and forever. I'm talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he said, you know, you're going to do the things that I did. And because I go to my father, you're going to do greater than these. And you wonder what could be greater than raising the dead or healing somebody. I believe you can raise somebody from the dead and they could turn around and miss it later on. I believe a healed person can go to hell, don't you? But not a saved man. Where do you get that message from? From those that have experienced it. And it's the message the Holy Spirit will give you. It's who you are in Christ. I've told you, all you preachers ought to have a preacher's class someday. Your major message is the indwelling Christ. Now, when I ask you all that in one of these future sermons, no ladies, okay? When I ask you, what is the major message of a preacher today? You tell me the indwelling Christ. And then if you don't learn what that means, don't preach. All right. Amen. You're welcome anyway. All right. So as we come to a close and we come to a halt tonight, I want you to see that Jesus came to transform lives. The Holy Spirit comes to amplify, magnify, exalt Jesus. He said when he comes, he will open your eyes. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will anoint you. And look in Ephesians chapter 1. This is what hopefully is happening tonight. He said in Ephesians 1 and verse 17, he said, My prayer for you people is that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, Now notice he's talking to saints, not ain'ts. He's talking to the church that he would give to you. Not that you just automatically have it or I've already got it. No, that he would give to you. You save people. 
that he would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. What does that bring? I want you to see from the inside the deeper light. Can I say it that way without sounding exclusive? A deeper light. Not just something on the surface, yeah, 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 yeah. They the rolled a stone away and three days he raised some dead. And the picture begins to be painted by the Holy Spirit. You're seeing things in a different dimension. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's a master craftsman. He takes the likes of us and crafts us, renews our minds. And when we listen to the word, it is he that, that in your life, when it happens, he opens your eyes and you begin to see from a verse of scripture what you've never clearly seen before. And for maybe for the first time in your life, it makes sense. When it makes sense, it begins to effect a change in the way you live. And until that happens, you stay the same. But this is why the spirit never leaves us alone. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll send another comfort. I will not leave you. Didn't he say that? I will be with you all the time. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going to be. You're not going to be absent from me. You will always have me there with you. And I'm always going to be talking to you. And when you're not doing right, I'm going to swat you. Those are my words. I chastise people I love. I don't want to judge you. If you live like the world, 1 Corinthians 11 said, you'll have to be judged like the world. So to keep you from being judged, God chastens you and corrects you. How does he do that? By his spirit. He loves you. He puts something inside of us that is of him. He put himself in you. Christ in you is a hope of glory. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Same God, same truth. I don't know if you in here, you young, I don't know if you've connected with this or not. But it's not coming here because there's a lot of cool people here and fun place to go. And I, It's life. It's a message. And it becomes real. It becomes what God intended for it to become when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. What else goes with this, Brother Hamilton? You'll have to come next week. If they'll let me preach, you'll have to come next week. Amen. I want you to keep all this in mind. We may have a question and answer session next week. I'll have you stand up wherever you're sitting and answer a question when I ask you one. What's the preacher's message? The indwelling Christ. That's right, Michael. That's right. The indwelling Christ. Praise the Lord. God is good. I think he's good. I'm glad he's good. And I believe it gets gooder and gooder. How many of you believe that the Bible's true? All right. You may have some needs in the next few weeks. You may be alerted to some needs in your life. Please deal with it. If you don't know how, call me. Come by and visit. But I want everybody to get this understood in your life. If you're going to go to the mission field or if you're going to go down the street, I want you to be equipped and have something in you that makes you know in whom you have believed and that you are sure 
that he is able not only to keep you, but to save people. Amen.